0: Hello and welcome to Climactic. This week we have an interview with Councillor Tim Baxter of Port Phillip Council which was recorded with Mark Spencer at St Kilda Town Hall on Friday the 27th of April.
1: And we're putting this episode up less than a week after we recorded it because what we talked about with Tim was actually very timely. Tim and the other councillors of Port Phillip City Council have been hard at work on their sustainability plans and their budget, and now they've actually got it out for community consultation and they're waiting to hear back.
0: And isn't it great to see a local council getting on the right track after years of saying the right things on climate change, but really not doing enough. And it's our goal to increase community participation and engagement on climate change.
1: Agreed. So I promised Tim, Councillor Baxter, We'd get this up as soon as possible and encourage our Victorian listeners and yes, we know you guys are listening in Victoria to check out the draft plan and it's right there in the show notes. They really want feedback and they need it by May 18th. So feel free to jump on, let them know what you're happy with and what you're not happy with. We'll have this interview one more next week and then our big waste special on May 17th as well to remind you to do that.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Mark, what can listeners expect from this episode?
1: Well, we got into it pretty quick, to be honest. The um, story of Tim's path to city council we covered over right at the start, where he got his passion for the environment and where that comes from. Uh, Then we move into some more of the moving parts of local government, uh, which I think is really vital for everyone to know who wants to affect change. Basically, I I think it's fair to say we were a couple of geeky democracy uh, technology and environmental nerds about the whole thing, and we just had a really fun chat. So um, we hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I did being there on the day.
0: Yeah, and I learned a lot too, Mark. Okay, that's great. All right, then, here we go with our interview of Councillor Tim Baxter. Well, Tim Baxter, thank you so much for sitting
1: down with me, and beautiful... Is it Port Phillip Town Hall or St Kilda Town this Hall? This is St still? Kilda Town Hall. Yep. Port Phillip has three town halls. Excellent, but this is the the functional town hall. Yeah, because this is where the admin is. South it. Melbourne is now a like performing arts studio space, isn't it? Yeah, and that's a beautiful old building. Absolutely. Cool. that's gorgeous. But we're here in the the old wing of the building, right? So the 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 heritage
2: yes. uh, wing of the building they call. It. Yeah. As
1: I walked into the room, it was a dark room. There was no smoke, but it was a dark room. But then you turn on the <laughs> lights. and Now we're sitting under the light, and it's lovely. So Tim, you you came up to me when I was at a Friends of the Earth event on Earth Day and you introduced yourself as a counselor and said you want to be on the show and you want to actually talk about what you're doing with council work. And I was so encouraged and heartened by that. It was, I was really floored, actually. Because we were talking for a couple minutes before you said you were a counselor. So it was really nice actually coming into this knowing, oh, Tim, that's the guy I met, not this is Timothy Baxter, the city councilman. Decision maker. That's right, that's right. So I, I've come in, I think, with a lot better sort of mindset for a, for a chat than sort of normal person off the street walking over the microphone to speak to a city councilman. Before we sort of get into what you're doing with the work, I'm sort of interested about your path to, to be here, what your background was, and how you got thinking about the sustainability and environmental side. So your background's in in business law, finance. Well, banking and finance is, is my background, but I didn't study it at uni. mm so what, what did you study? You know? I studied a
2: Bachelor of Arts, which is what you study when you don't know what to study. Mm-hmm. And uh, I majored in history and philosophy and minored in politics. I picked up a minor in like the last year when I started to get interested in politics. And uh, yeah, I have, I have yet to really put that um, degree to use as a piece of paper. But I do have to say that the skills and knowledge that I picked up have... Have helped my brain quite a lot definitely so it's very hard to quantify exactly what subject did what but
1: you know it's I would flip that around and say that should be the prerequisite study for anybody going into city council that's that's what, that's what i think yeah <laughs> bring in <laughs> some context some ability to think some ability to realize the way in which you're thinking and try to change it it's that's powerful
2: uh, perhaps the military history helps when you're trying to um, I'm I'm to a campaign, to, yeah,
1: trying <laughs> to, try to, try to run a campaign or get the
2: numbers for a particular council vote. So. <laughs> That's right. Fantastic. <laughs> I, uh, I have a weird uh, background. I've worked in a number of different uh, sectors. I used to run nightclubs. Hmm. I ran my own mobile bar business for a little while. And then I ended up working in banking and finance, which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, but, how did you that know, jump happen? Man of the people to man of the boardroom. I was just sort of... The the, the financial crisis sort mm-hmm. of hit, and uh, a lot of a lot of nightclubs and venues were sort of tightening up and mm-hmm. perhaps even going under. Uh, and uh, so I needed to go and work in something safe. or yep. to get married and start a family and stuff. Yes. So banking is about a safe... As it can be, although with the Royal Commission at the moment, that's... There's some heads on blocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, and so I got out of banking uh, roughly around the time that I was elected to council. And, and look, the path to that was not a professional path at all. That was mostly uh, based on always being interested in um, social justice and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And then deciding that politics was a good outlet for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that getting involved a little bit in the Labour Party getting very disillusioned there and moving to the Greens. And then running for, for council there. And I think one of the things that uh, that makes you get really interested in local issues is that the moment you have kids in an area, because all of a sudden you're joining parents' groups. Yeah, you're exposed
1: to a lot more of that. Community. Exactly. There's so many aspects of neighborhood you're even living there, you're unaware of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We didn't know most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then
2: once you start to put down roots, though, then you, all of a sudden you start to get really interested in the minutes of the last council meeting. That's right. And um, uh, that's yeah. that's
1: kind of a precursor to getting local politics, isn't it? If you find yeah. you're reading the minutes, that's a warning sign. That's a sad, uh, sad <laughs> yeah. No, it's really great. So, as a rough sort of timeline, so you're in sort of the nightclub operation, hospitality space until about 2008 and financial crisis. It was
2: about, um about 2006 or seven or mm-hmm. so um, earlier. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, oh,
1: no, that was... Yeah, no, you're right. It was probably around 2008. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. And then, and then in business and banking, and then when did you run for council?
2: The first time I ran for council was in 2012 mm-hmm. um, uh, in the city of Port Phillip here Uh, and i was unsuccessful it was very close Mm -hmm. um and i think that all that uh did was make me more fired up to yeah to to run again yeah that's the thing when you when you come close that's uh,
1: almost worse than getting uh destroyed yeah because it makes you come back yeah if if you'd been devastated you'd been like well okay i've tried that's it (laughs) door shut exactly but i
2: just got angry so i uh, <laughs> so uh, i came back and there were a number of different changes in between you know there were electoral changes in the way that voting happened for council that okay. were actually quite beneficial mm-hmm. so so this time uh, I came back and yes I got a better vote than last time but it almost didn't matter even if I'd gotten the same vote as last time I would have gotten in so okay. it just it just meant that uh, there's now more voices mm-hmm. you don't need as much of a vote to get elected mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's, it's a better council now
1: that's good did they do that by expanding the number of seats uh, they did a little bit so they went from
2: 7 councillors to 9 councillors mm-hmm. but instead of having 7 single member wards where each in order to get on council, you had to get more than fifty percent of the vote in whatever ward you were running in. Yep. Uh, instead, they've got they've now got three multi member wards, okay. whereby you know people who get a significant vote but perhaps not 50 percent they mm-hmm. might get 25 or 20 percent or, or something yep. still have quite a good chance of getting elected oh, that's really cool um, which i think that broadens broadens it out to people that don't just have the most money or, or the biggest profile very good
1: well I'm, I'm very interested in the politics side i i'm, I'm weaning myself off american poli- political news at the moment and now's a good time to do that oh it is okay. i'm going from eight or nine podcasts a day about american politics under one a week okay but i I could get it like it's really interesting how it was you know sort of first past the post system in the single party wards now it's kind of like a preferential system with the multi-member districts and stuff but that's all talk for another day and i don't know (laughs) if any of my listeners are interested in politics so we could do a whole new podcast on that just 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 local politics how it works i'm uh, signing up i'm gonna be doing podcasts left and right soon hopefully just left yes (laughs) 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 left and middle left and middle there we go good (laughs) Um that's that's a really good idea of sort of where you're coming from. You you were this kind of man of the people. You 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 knew how to run a business out in real life and interact with real people and even people kind of when they're out on the town at night, kinda of at their worst and, and dealing with with the realities. It's not all just that that stratified atmosphere of the boardroom with banking and kind of Absolutely. That's great. So you you're used to sort of dealing with a, a diversity of people. So when you got into council did you have in mind who you were coming in to represent? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I obviously
2: ran as a green, mm. not because I'm there to represent the greens, but so that my community knows what I stand for. A lot of people... They look down the list of their local... Ca- they don't know who these people are, who these yeah. candidates are for local council. They come from anywhere. But at least you can say, oh, well, that guy's the green, so I've got a good idea about what he's about. Yep. He's going to be about sustainability. He's going to be about social justice, those sorts of things. So I did that to basically put a big flag on myself. These are the things I believe in. Uh, but in terms of uh, you know representing a particular constituency... Uh, look, some people come in because they've got a very narrow focus. I'm here to represent, you know, business, for example, mm-hmm. and um, and that's all I care about. And if something comes up on council that's not about business, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. That's not me. I, I, I try to be across everything. I'm, I'm really doing my best to represent everyone, even people who are very not nice to me yep. <laughs> when, and, they, and, when they have yep. contact with me. Yep. And I, I really. Do my best to to respect them as my constituents, even if they're the most right wing, mm-hmm. so different from my values as mm-hmm. you can possibly get. Yeah. My job to listen and, and to and to take their concerns on board. Yeah, if there's general constituencies that got me here, I would say that yeah, obviously people who uh, you know the kind of people who go out and pick up rubbish on the beach or go and do community plantings and those sorts of things. That would be I would say a natural constituency. Yeah,
1: you feel quite aligned with them. You understand yeah. their interests and. you you do want the best for what they're wanting,
2: yeah, absolutely. But but I certainly don't sort of prioritize them yeah. above
1: any other. Got a be respect for everyone who lives in your exactly. constituency.
2: Good. But, but but our values certainly align, and so there's definitely plenty of things on which I'm working hard, and that community knows I'm working hard on, and they give me very good feedback, often very frank
1: yes. <laughs> feedback, but but good feedback. I, I'm glad to know you're getting that that frank feedback. I've, I found you know it's it's a very pale imitation, but two weeks in of doing a show like you yeah. You know, the oh, you're doing great, you're doing great doesn't help anything, it yeah. doesn't help anything get better. You want to know how you're failing and what can be better. And mm. the hard part, I assume, about council is that you're being told all the time that everything could be better. Yeah. And it's, it's, it does become a question of prioritization and then juggling it with the other council members. And Absolutely. We could probably talk about the, how the local governance dynamics works for hours, but that's probably a good segue into you came in to re- reflect everyone and especially what. The broader purpose of what a lot of your constituents want, which is social justice, climate justice, and and a greater awareness, whereas some people in local governments here or elsewhere come in because they're reflecting the interests of their business club or Mm -hmm. their chamber of commerce or something like that, which has got to be a lot easier because it's a very clear set of priorities for them mm. you can find your path there quite easily mm. but if we just quickly jump into the heavy stuff <laughs> those are all the softball questions i guess so like sure. so climate change it's there it's it's a change of everything in our social dynamic it's a changing of the very foundations of how we live the climate we live in how do you wake up in the morning and know what to do about that topic? How do, you, how do you not get overwhelmed with stuff? Especially when people like me come to you and say, oh, the sky is falling. Help me. Oh my God, we're all going to die. Look, I it, it's a good question because
2: everyone handles it in different ways. Some people become just unbelievably despondent. Mm-hmm. Other people are fired up with rage. I I'd probably swing between the two. And I do spend some time trying not to think about the, the ramifications so much, but to focus purely on the small things I can do and that's what good. is in my control mm-hmm. because I can stress a lot about what's not in my control. And, and that's, again, that can be good to motivate yourself at times, but, uh, but sometimes it can get a bit too much and you just go, okay, so what can we do? Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly on council, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that, you know, council's foremost duty is not to do the federal government's job on climate change, mm-hmm. but we actually, we definitely have a duty to our community who are going to be affected by climate change. We're a seaside community, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and uh, we're heavily built up and we have areas of uh, massive heat island effect and those sorts of things. We have a duty to our community to do our part to address uh, climate change and also to shame some of the leaders, mm-hmm. uh, the federal leaders, to show by example
1: that we're doing something where they will not. So Yeah, where they say it's not possible to or too costly or there's not enough benefit.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So do, do I think that Port Phillip can solve the issue of climate change by itself? Of course not. That's absurd. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of influential and powerful things we can do at a local level. And I focus very much on what are those things.
1: That's really good. That's that's a good sort of set of tactics you can use to wake up and do your job effectively every day. Is not to go to every time there's a, a climate warrior, an allegor, or next week at Bill McKibben in Melbourne. Go to those events and get overwhelmed and despondent. And I know that's not, not what they're trying to do. But <laughs> yeah. my personality sounds like maybe some days a bit of yours is, is to become overwhelmed. But... To overcome that, you just focus down on what you do in local council, what you can, how you can do your job best today, and that that's great. Is that sort of the advice you'd give to other council members, maybe people looking to run for local council? Is yeah. just
2: absolutely. Focus. I know. I'm, so look, uh, you know, on 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 council, we're we're lucky. We've got a few councillors who are mm-hmm. very interested in in taking action on climate change. There are other councils who. Are, who have been able to go further. Yeah, because
1: the further have, on that spectrum. Yeah. Further on that path.
2: Because they have either more resources or they're just more of their councillors are more serious about mm-hmm. it. Um, you've got to be able to do what you can do. I know councils where, you know, I've got a mate who's the only person on the council who cares about climate change, mm-hmm. but he's still able to change a couple of things, you know, get something into the the procurement plan. That means that we're going to procure a few more of council products and services from companies that have a better, you know, climate change policies and, yes, and, and yeah. you know, aren't as exposed to... Try to spend the money vehicles. a bit better. Exactly, yeah. you know. And and all of these little things, I mean, some of them are quite big. I mean, mm-hmm. these councils are a huge... Yeah, they're, they're organizations, organizations. of serious clout, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, the city of Port Phillip has a, it's an annual budget of about $220 million, mm-hmm. and we oversee assets of a couple of bill, I think. Mm-hmm. And now that some of those include roads and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, Yeah, no one's going <laughs> to buy really them yet. Up. But uh, but you know it's it's they're they're huge and so when they make a small change it can often have a really really big mm. impact absolutely and so that's that's what I would say is that you know what, whatever you can do if you're a decision maker and if you've got a, a position of influence use it to get whatever you can yes
1: no matter how big or small that's right big's good yeah big, big <laughs> is good but yeah we do have to get there I've I've got I've got one good question maybe but also just a quick. From on the ground, a, a thank you for how the money does get spent. I, I just got associated with the community garden at Foundry Park, just by by the uh, South Melbourne Town Hall, yes. and I went there for the first time yesterday. And I, you know, we got some coffee grounds we picked up from a cafe, stopped and going to landfill, did a bit of mulching on a bed of broad beans. And I was able to pick enough veggies from the community garden to feed myself last night. Awesome. And so it was great, and that wouldn't have happened without council taking some proactive steps and putting a you know, giving a grant to put in 12 raised beds and uh and a water tap on a bit of public land and it was and it's magic and
2: yeah absolutely those and those things and have that's tangible value in terms yeah. of money you know like that's right. in terms of our budget that is that's such a small thing, but it's so powerful. And what we really are able to leverage off there is people power. That's actually the mm-hmm. community that made that happen. We mm-hmm. just gave them a bit of money. Yes. There's no way that council could actually make a community garden happen. Mm-hmm. That's it's true. a community garden, not a council garden.
1: That's right. So well, we, you guys provide the garden, we bring the community. Exactly.
2: exactly. And so that's that's where the, the, the real uh, power comes from is, yes, I'm on council. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can make decisions. But the the real powerful day-to-day change comes when people from the community get together, organize, and actually say, we want to do this. Mm-hmm. How can you facilitate that? And council goes, well, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that. That is where really powerful d- things happen every single day,
1: you mm-hmm. know, in, in a local level. And I love it. That's Absolutely love it. Well, City Port Phillip needs its own podcast, I guess, to talk about those <laughs> big things that happen every single day because it's really hard... To keep up with what's going on at, at the moment, but I'm able to listen to shows produced in people's bedrooms from all over the world, so I don't know, I'll, I'll push that on the side. I'll push for <laughs> sure. more, more sort of outreach in that way. Yeah. The thing you just said about you know, when, when council agree on something and there's a community need and those can meet in the middle, powerful things happen what's the state of sort of consensus at the moment on the council what's a safe topic to bring up in the realm of climate change and what's still debated and will lead to an argument so you get someone like me in the room who, who takes it as you know gospel as fact you know and that's weird to bring in biblical allegory i used to be a christian as a kid i'm not anymore so maybe um you know i take it as fact that you know Climate change is of course happening. It is primarily man-made. We are gonna see large sea level rise by the end of the century, even with large action against it because of locked-in effects. We are say you know, just it's not a debatable thing. You can say the Arctic two months ago was warmer than Europe. Mm. And just that's just a thermometer. You can't disagree with that. <laughs> so how much of that and then the flow on consequences like, hey, we should we should ban diesels, we should ban single use plastic bags. These these shouldn't be debated topics but what's not debated on the council right now and, and what still is
2: well it's a, it, it's an interesting conversation because most people you talk to whether they're in local government state or federal government will not dispute any of that mm-hmm. they'll say all of that yep climate change is
1: totally happening but S- i want some money to buy this well, no, no, no no
2: they'll just say it's not our problem uh, and this happens on local government quite a lot even yeah. though the local government act Clearly says that mm-hmm. it is our job as a council to take care of our community, protect their health and well-being, uh, advocate for their priorities, mm-hmm. and I would say that that means we have to tackle climate change uh, because it's going to negatively affect their health uh, and and because the it's majority of
1: our, our community potentially.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, and and the majority of our of our community want us to do something about it. So mm-hmm. I would say that just ticks all of the boxes in terms of our our legal obligations to our community. Mm-hmm. There will always be councillors who say no. Our job is to take care of the rubbish. Our oh. job is to take is, care of the streets. Is to maintain streets, and and that is that is that is a, an unbelievably narrow interpretation. And and of course, those people will always be caught out by the fact that you know they'll then ask for funding for something that isn't roads, rates, and rubbish. Mm-hmm. And so it's clear they don't believe in this roads rates and rubbish thing. They just don't want it's your climate yeah. change thing coming in and messing up the whole thing. So, yeah. so it's it's ne- it's never so much debated as an issue. It's mm-hmm. sidestepped and it's and it's and it's ignored. And that happens on, I would say, most councils. Mm-hmm. The one the one thing that was definitely debated here was when um, a large uh, section of the community they signed a, a petition from the Melbourne Port Stop Adani group Mm -hmm. uh, against Adani. Mm -hmm. So then uh, the organisers of that petition then sent a joint letter to council saying, uh, you know, can you... Divest mm-hmm. from anything involved with Adani. I mean, it was more complicated than that, but um, you know, that, that was a simple gist, message of yeah. we
1: don't want anything that's happening in our council to support this coal mine. And they were backed up by,
2: you know, that petition against Adani, which was signed by a couple of thousand people yep. um, uh, in our community. And so w- we received that. Joint letter, which is treated as a petition, joint letter petition, same thing. And our officers uh, received that, and they basically said, look, in order to respond to this petition, because we're legally required to respond to every petition, uh, even if it's just to say noted, but in order to respond to this petition uh, effectively, we have to prepare a report on what our exposure to Adani-related companies are. Um, You know, so... We, we need to do that work. Uh, and uh, upon some questioning, you know, they sort of said it, it probably wouldn't be too difficult to do because we're already reviewing our procurement process, we're already working on our sustainable environment yep. strategy, so it kind of would dovetail in with that. Unfortunately, a majority of councillors decided not to request that report from the officers. Mm-hmm. The rationale given by some of those councillors was that the officers are too busy, they they don't have the capacity to take time and resources out to prepare this report, despite the fact that the officers had said it, it's kind of runs parallel to some stuff yeah. we were doing anyway. Yeah. You know, we don't want them preparing this report, and so that that actually got voted down at council. I personally was
1: was shocked. I thought I thought we'll
2: prepare the report and then we can argue about yes. what's in the report
1: later. At okay. least get on the same page about. Exactly. The of this report
2: exactly and i thought i thought preparing a report was just a, 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 a no-brainer yeah. yeah and so i was actually quite shocked that that the majority of councillors voted not even to ask for a report mm-hmm. and so uh, i was quite upset about that the melbourne port stop adani group did come back later with a modified ask which was mostly uh, just about us stating our opposition to yes. adani and that got up that that passed that didn't Require much from okay. us, so the um, so the
1: council's passed a proposition to say the council opposes Adani. Yes, yeah, but we won't prepare a report on what our involvement with Adani is. Exactly, so you know, the
2: less you know. The better, I suppose. Yes, and and look, I understand why some people would be worried about that because that what's in that report? What if mm. it turns out a major massive. contract that we've got mm-hmm. uh, is is tied up somehow with the Dani, Maybe yep. even tangentially. Oh, what are we? You are that company the service they're giving them exactly. And you know, what are we doing? doing. But yep. I would say prepare the report yes. and then talk about what you're going to do because I might. Be able to compromise and say, you know, okay, we'll stay with them, knowing that they're partially exposed, but yes. because it'd be too much of a risk to council mm-hmm. right now to yep. do
1: otherwise. But you know, we'll but review you go, it as to we the go down public the track. and say, oh, their contracts up in two years, we will review. Yeah, yeah,
2: all of that sort of stuff. So I, I, I just I thought that that was a sensible way to go about it. But yes. so that was one debate. That was one big climate change debate mm-hmm. um, that has happened recently. But most of the debate when we're going back and forth about how we structure say our sustainable environment strategy or a council plan, Mm -hmm. most of this stuff happens behind closed doors as we're just trying to work out where each other sits on things, right? So it's not exactly public debate. It's more, you know, going line item by line item and going, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Uh, What are we going to put out to the community for consultation? And that's where a lot of that discussion happens. And, uh, I, I, again, I said, there's no vicious debate
1: there, but some mm. people would simply rather not think about this or rather not talk about yeah. that. So, like the any opposition to the recognition and action on climate change doesn't come out based on someone's. Uh, it doesn't come out until there's you're literally going line item by line item, line item in the budget. There's not ever an ideological debate happening in council chambers because right. these two councillors are not from different parties, but associated with. I know that's um, you know, as we talked about with councillors work, you're not, you didn't run for the seat for the Greens party. The uh, federal parties don't put up candidates for city council. Sure, but I, I did, so the, the
2: state Greens did endorse me. Okay. Because, because I that, was the lead Green candidate and uh-huh. that meant that no other... Green was getting that endorsement. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so, so so there was He's that, and that's unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Labor Party has just announced they're going to
1: start doing that as well. Okay, and that's quite a big change, um, isn't it? Because before that, Liberal and Labor didn't endorse. Well, They City used Council. to a while ago. Okay, Labor, Labor used to back in the
2: good old days, bad old days, whatever they were. Eighties, the nineties. Um, yeah, and yep. uh, and then they stopped doing it. But now they, but I I, I
1: think it's valuable because it's just it's just you know facing up. Yeah, absolutely. So So hopefully, you know, whatever inhibition is stopping that line item process, that just gets out in the public a bit more. So you actually know who you are voting for and what they're going to do rather than just saying, oh, yes, yes, we agree, we agree, but actually get people's priorities out front and center. So Mm. like if you say, yes, I'm not opposed to action on climate change, but it is my 20th lowest priority. Mm. That means that none of the stuff needs to happen on climate change is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 basically what it is. So there there are
2: some people who they may care about it, but it's not anywhere near their their top priority. That's right. You compare that
1: list of of what do you care about, and it's exactly bottom.
2: And that's why and that's why for a long time Port Phillip Council uh, really lagged in terms of sustainability because Mm -hmm. they always had councillors that sort of cared about it but it wasn't massively high on their priority list it was always the first thing to get pushed aside mm-hmm. um and so that's that i think has changed i think we've now got a council that on the whole is is very keen on this sort of stuff and and we're, we're focusing very much on sustainability but i think that in order to i think that what people in the community need to understand is that in order to sustain that momentum that can't just come from councillors when we're doing consultation on things we need feedback from the community that say I love that you're focusing on sustainability. This is really important. Or I've noticed you've funded this for two years. I think it needs five. You mm-hmm. know, you, you need to commit more, you know, whatever. But if all we hear is a chorus of silence, yes. it's simply going to reinforce this idea that some councillors have that, you know, I'm the only one that cares about sustainability in this yes. community, and yep. we know that's not the case because this is poor Philip. You know, yes. we
1: know what this community is like. That's right. They
2: are not uh, climate change deniers. Not at all.
1: <laughs> oh, Tim, that's why I, I was really impressed by you personally coming out to that Friends of the Earth event on Earth Day, taking your own personal time. I, when I was talking to you, and you said at the end, "Well, I better go spend some time with my family now." I'm like, <laughs> I knew th- this is not a. This is not on the clock activity for you this was you were getting mm-hmm. out going to your constituents because i it said it's tough when they don't come to you and tell you what they want mm-hmm. but here we were in the park right next to luna park trying to talk over the roller coaster <laughs> and, <laughs> Great and you, yeah uh, the recording sounds pretty fun <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you you came out to that and uh, do you know do other councillors do that to your
2: knowledge so one, one other councillor did Shot um, right at the end. I think she was coming straight from work, so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to slag her off, but she, mm-hmm. she did come late. Like, so that good, was Louise Crawford, mm-hmm. um, did make it there. Uh, and I saw her saw her briefly. That was just before we sort of did the photos in front of the, mm-hmm. the Mr Moon. Yep. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, she did come along. Uh, there are other councillors who are certainly interested in these sorts of things. But, you know, scheduling, sometimes you just can't make a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Councillor uh, uh, Catherine Copsey uh, and Councillor Oggy Simic, for example... Uh, are very very keen on sustainability and, and climate change. Um, definitely, but uh, Councillor Simic has a new baby, and mm-hmm. Councillor Copsey, I think had something else on. So yep. um, and sometimes, it was a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. And it was a Sunday, and so sometimes we do get a bit of judgment from the community when we're not at an event because they think we mm. don't care. But you know, we're human beings; we might have another thing on. Absolutely, um, that 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 just happens. So, but but it is important that we get out to as much as possible to just see uh, to just show the community that your local representatives. Can Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there was a state representative there as well and mm-hmm. martin foley these things are not they might seem tokenistic but it's a, it's a great reassurance to activists in the community that Absolutely. someone out
1: there an actual decision maker is noticing and caring that's right you're not just yelling at the sky and it, it it's good you address that it, it can seem tokenistic and and definitely if you're not if you're not there yourself and you just hear that, ah, oh, you know, one of the local MPs showed up to an event, like, ah, oh, so so those people think that he's on their side. So mm-hmm. But then if you can have the chance to actually listen to these people. And I think people listening to this will hear that you are indeed a person and not a council robot. Mm-hmm. Like you, I think actually hearing what people have to say is, is a great tool for empathy. And um, I, I was very heartened you know, hearing Martin get up and, speaking to you, of course. So I'm really looking forward to speaking to some of the other council members. Um, so the reason you kind of had me in today was quite timely because you're doing this draft that was just released of the... Uh, the Sustainable Environment Strategy, uh, which I'm, I'm f- glad that's not an acronym, which is <laughs> the SES, uh, which is which
2: we've called a sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is basically, it came out of... So when, when, uh, when a new council gets elected, they're required to develop a council plan, which mm-hmm. is a strategic plan for that four-year term yes uh, and uh and it can go longer so we we, we did a 10-year plan mm-hmm. and obviously the, the next council that gets elected can do whatever they want with it they can mm-hmm. modify it scrap it change it whatever yep. but we just feel that 10-year planning actually makes more sense mm-hmm. um particularly when you're providing certainty to the community but also to the organization that's got to go and do all this work that yes, we're setting up right. for them so we, we put together a council plan and the council plan had some pretty ambitious stuff uh, in terms of sustainability. As I said, previous councils have not done so well on that. So there was actually quite a lot to come back, mm-hmm. to, to pull back uh, from uh, where they were. So we put that out there. And essentially what that meant is you can't just write some pretty words in a, in a council plan document you have to actually flesh that out and that's why we then started developing strategies that underpin uh, this document so you know we've got there'll be a waste strategy coming out in the next couple of months, there'll be a transport strategy in the next couple of months uh, there's a like an art strategy, and this one is the sustainability strategy. Excellent. So it's a draft strategy uh, that we've put together that fleshes out and says more about how we're going to achieve what we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. It starts setting some actual targets on things, which is really important, um, more than just words. Uh, and it's and it's in draft form, so it's actually gone out for consultation. It's three weeks of consultation. We want to know what the what the community thinks. So before I go into talking about anything that's in the draft, I would just urge people to go to. Uh, the city of Port Phillip, have your say section, uh, and find the, um, the the council plan and budget review page, mm-hmm. and in there. It's got the strategies that underpin how we're reviewing the council plan and budget. So sustainable future uh, is is under there. And I think that we, like I said, we really need people from the community to actually look at these measures, look at these things that we're saying that we want to do. And if you don't have any context for those, have a look at what other councils like the City of Darabon, City of Moreland, uh, even the even the Byron Shire in New South Wales, what they're doing on sustainability. And feel free to compare us to them because they they're the real deal. They want to do stuff and Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, this is a good strategy and this is what we're doing but it may not be perfect and I'm happy to to get feedback so I really want people to to put that in. So essentially the the, the big difference that we're going with from previous councils is that previous councils had talked about a number of different ways in which we were going to live more sustainably. That that uh, included emissions uh, reduction, uh, potable water usage, getting mm-hmm. the potable water usage down, mm-hmm. measuring uh, the amount of pollutants and contaminants pulled out of waterways mm-hmm. and, and other travelling water in the municipality, uh, soil contamination, all of these sorts of things had been measured in our previous Towards Zero plan. The problem was, was that we set targets, kind of half measured them, put the document on a shelf and forgot about it. Yep. And then we came back and looked at when, when when I got on the council, we came back and looked at it and realised we weren't going to meet... Any
1: of these measures,
2: yes, and it and it required a significant investment for us to even get to like sixty percent of meeting those measures. Yes, so in, i'm for sure
1: those measures in the first place, we're not very ambitious to start with. Uh, they, they could have been. No, started. I think I think they were. I think they were quite ambitious. But there is no point
2: being ambitious if you're not going to back it up with that's proper right, funding with and proper measurement proper measures. Yeah. So I think that, that that was silly. So instead, we're we're trying to do something that's not. I wouldn't say it's less ambitious. It's it may in fact be more ambitious, yeah. but it's it's just it's smarter in, in terms of the way that we're uh, actually doing it. So we're talking about obviously reducing our emissions and it's very, very easy for any council to say we want to reduce council's net emissions zero because that's just council buildings and the council fleet that's like 0.4 percent of the total emissions from the city of port phillip in totals so yeah we can say that and we will do that we've recently signed up to the melbourne renewable energy project uh which means that all of our power will come from a wind farm out in crowlands so tick in net zero emissions from the city of Port Phillip buildings. But we have to go deeper than that. Definitely, there but are-
1: that would have been the crowning achievement for other councils they would have been crowing about for years, like- we're a net zero council, but you've addressed it, said, yeah, we're doing it. Here's how we're doing it. And that's done. That was in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> that's the scale you guys are at, your point of seriousness. And that's brilliant.
2: Absolutely. Because that I think is is, is a relatively minor achievement uh, yes. uh, right up there with any, you know, large scale business going net 0 mm-hmm we have a huge amount of emissions coming from outside of council meaning the community and business in the city of port phillip and so we need to actually get serious about reducing those emissions and there's a number of ways that we can do that that are set out in this document and also its companion document which is the sustainable cities community action plan which is basically how we're going to go out to the community and take action on some of these on some of these measures excellent and that and that will involve things like working with some of the really big tower apartment blocks Mm -hmm. on energy efficiency so not even putting any generation on no solar panels or anything Mm -hmm. but tweaking your air conditioning to Mm -hmm. be within a certain range could save one of those big blocks forty thousand dollars a year yes uh, in terms of money so there's a money incentive Mm -hmm. and it would uh, obviously reduce emissions so there are things that you can do you can change lights you can retrofit buildings all of these sorts of things that we want to work with Some of the, I would say, the lowest hanging fruit Mm -hmm. in these really big apartment blocks. But that would leave out people like me who live in a block of six apartments, Mm -hmm. very, very small, about what we can do. And that's why we're also going to have programs how we can help people in smaller blocks to do that as well. There's also the business side of things. And we want to work with some of the biggest businesses and industries in the city of Port Phillip to also reduce their carbon footprint. So... The, these are these are the sorts of things that I think that a lot of people would say is not council's responsibility, mm-hmm. but I would say it absolutely is our responsibility because our contribution to the sea level rise that's going to affect our own beaches. Yes, um, it has so be self-interested to be self interested about this. Exactly, you know, um, <laughs> it is definitely acting within the best interests of our community. Definitely, and that's just emissions. There's there's a lot more in this uh, in this plan, uh, certainly around water. As we as climate change worsens, water is going to become such a precious resource, potable water that mm-hmm. is, in that it'll rain and pour at some times and it'll be bone dry at other times. Mm-hmm. Water will always, uh, and more and more as climate change goes on, it'll always be where you don't want it. Yes. Like flooding someone's kitchen. Yep. And it won't, it won't be where, be you, where you do want it. And so we need to have um, mechanisms in place that can properly capture, treat and clean uh, water and use it as much as possible because it's going to be liquid gold yeah. uh, as as we go forward, and it's going to be a, an increasingly scarce resource. And we need to treat it like the valuable commodity it will end up being. Uh, there's also obviously stuff in there about the heat island effects that mm-hmm. most inner city municipalities that are Circle highly from. densified yeah. will will have. We want yeah. to increase canopy cover. We want to mm-hmm. increase vegetation. This is the only uh, serious way to combat uh, that sort of heat. And so we've got targets in there about how we're going to do that. So Excellent. these are some of the things, you know, without going into too much detail, I probably already have. These are some of the things that we've got in there that a lot of councils would say are honestly too hard to do, mm-hmm. but we're planning ahead and we know that this is actually not only going to make our job easier in the mm-hmm. future if we plan now, but it is going to deeply affect Those members of our community that are most at risk of climate change, particularly people of low income, people Mm -hmm. who are elderly, anyone who's susceptible to heat waves or sea level rise. That's
1: the worry. Even just myself who doesn't like the heat, I think. (laughs) I agree with you 100% about water is going to become a scarce resource. I'm just really amazed to be able to 100% agree with Member of city council on that, that's, <laughs> that's more forward looking and tell some people about my concerns and they're you know, like, well, that's a little apocalyptic-y and you know, I'm like, no, well, that's just, you look at the trends and you look at our rate of current consumption factor in population growth. And then, yeah, given the fact that we are seeing weather patterns changing and, yeah, deluges and drought. That's, that's the pattern so I'm so encouraged to hear this part of the plan to all the listeners the, the plan link actually from where you're listening to it right now just scroll down you can hit the link straight away there whether on your podcatcher or on the website Tim thank you for going into that amount of detail on the plan once again to the listeners anyone who does live in other councils if you want to help me measure that against what your council is doing I would love your help in that anyone with any expertise on sort of legislation or plan analysis please feel free to get in contact with me Tim I've got my Maybe just a couple of quick questions for you. Maybe wrap it up because you've been so generous with your time and I don't want you to have a horse throat for the rest of your day talking to me about this. Sure. It, a politician must love... Uh, I'm not sure if you call yourself a politician. It's kind of like a slur these days. It, it is but these days. A, yeah. a representative like yourself mm-hmm. must kind of love having an audience of a, of a recorder because they, they're very attentive. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's little red eyes always looking at you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> here's a weird hypothetical for you. If climate change had been addressed and solved when we first learned about it through the scientific community in the 60s, 70s, and around 90s, any of these previous decades where we've already known what's happening and just let it continue to get worse. If it was a fixed issue now, and if you look out the window, everything was the same, but for whatever reason, we weren't emitting as much greenhouse gases as we are. What would you be doing with your life? How would it be different if you didn't have to worry about this?
2: Well, I mean, certainly life on council would be a lot easier without having to work out very complicated mm. asset management plans about It'll how be roads, our roads, rates, and
1: rubbish. We'd we love it. Have, <laughs> well, we, you
2: know, we, we, we wouldn't have to worry about which of our buildings is going to fall into the sea, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly, social justice is a big thing for me. So I'd really be working. I, I think I might still be trying to help people get solar panels on their roofs, yes. just to save on their bills. Yeah, just to help people who you know low-income people or people who are at risk in this community to help them in every way possible. I think I'd probably still be doing a bit of the same stuff that I'm doing. But I think also I certainly have lots of other interests in in terms of this community and the social justice angle. Housing and homelessness is a huge issue in the city of Port Phillip. We have a very large homeless population and a lot of people who are at risk. We have a very strange dichotomy of very very wealthy mm-hmm. suburbs and very very disadvantaged pockets of massive disadvantage and so that's something that i think i'd probably be concentrating on mm-hmm. uh, entirely if i didn't have to worry about this whole planet killing
1: nonsense yep. that we have to deal that's, with uh, yeah, with our current reality it's very poignant um so at the moment because that is very important to you, you are having to kind of juggle those two you know do i care about the people who are suffering now disadvantage right now but then you said as well like once you had kids your your perspective kind of broadened and the horizon got a little further out for you and you can kind of do you kind of have to do, do you let yourself feel a little guilty sometimes when you're working on current problems and you're like oh that was some attention some of my time that wasn't spent on the problems my kids are gonna face
2: yeah look sometimes I think it's it's good to be part of a team. Mm-hmm. I've got two other two other Greens on on council with me. I've got we're going
1: to get uh, you four more,
2: yeah, six more. <laughs> and and I've got and I've, but there are there are other councillors who aren't Greens who who are still interested in climate That's change. That's good. They're that in climate yep. change. So you know, so when I say a team, it's it's broader than than just Greens. So but Game. I think it's you know, you delegate, you can't do everything. And so that's why we've sort of, you know, unofficially a few of us on council have taken different areas of focus. And I think that happens on every council, but I'm Mr. Sustainability Guy, I'm Mr. You know, Emissions and Energy and all of that sort of thing. I'm the guy that's always going to be as informed as I can be, mm-hmm. and always have an opinion on these things. Mm-hmm. And we've got, you know, Cat Copsey, who's uh, very much uh, a waste um, sort of person, along with Councillor Dick Ross as well, actually, who's, who's the deputy mayor. He's he's also uh, he describes himself as a waste tragic. You know, so they've got <laughs> their, their focus. You've got Councillor uh, Oggy Simic, who's housing, housing, housing. The guy knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, he's brilliant at that sort of stuff. So if we're able to sort of split up, all of the problems of the world between yeah. us yep uh, we can then I can actually feel not too bad because I know cats taking care of that or yes. I taking care of that or dicks taking care of that that you know we're, that we're giving someone's giving it the focus it needs yes I think and that that helps me feel a little bit better
1: that's really good um, another just just quick question for you with talking about how local government works how it's kind of easy f- uh, have the doors open for some people to hide behind. Well, that's not our problem. That said the state government or federal level, our job as local council is rates, roads, and rubbish. If there's like a spectrum of local council is only like utilities, rates, roads, and rubbish, I'm going to keep saying it. It's very fun to say, and like complete devolvement, like local government is government and the federal government does defense that's about it. Mm -hmm. Sort of like the sort of libertarian sort of dream without the local government in there at all. Where where do you kind of see yourself sitting on the spectrum now on on what's better? Or maybe it's like sort of three questions in one. Sort of how how is it split now? Mm -hmm. How do you want it split? But how, how should it be split best to combat climate change? Where do you think power is best situated for this situation
2: it's it's a it's a difficult question because Mm -hmm. we in the climate movement have talked have supported different things at different times. When we've had a federal government that really wanted to take some kind of good action on the and environment, great, you get
1: some efficiencies at that scale. You've yeah. got the big mandate, the big stick, go for it. Exactly.
2: And and so when we've had that, and we've had state governments that are trying to hold out, we'd be like, oh, bugger the state government. Yes, that's right. What do you but, guys even do? Yeah. But when it's been the other way around, when we've got state governments who want to take action, but a federal government who doesn't really, then obviously we're American paradigm currently. Yeah. So I actually think the structure. The structure doesn't really matter. You mm-hmm. actually have to get the right people in power at mm-hmm. every single level. Personally, I think that local governments... In Victoria, local government is very, very weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been, it's been structured that way. We do not have the power over our municipality that the city of New York has over mm-hmm. its um, or, or, that, or that other uh, cities around the world, sometimes with bigger populations, sometimes with smaller populations. Mm-hmm. We can't even design our own planning system mm-hmm. uh, in, in the city of Port Phillip. We're, our job is only to uh, make the decision on behalf of the minister, the planning minister. So, for example, someone wants to build a block of apartments and they uh, you know, want some e- exemptions in, mm-hmm. in, in whatever, and so it comes to us and we have to make a, a Ruling about how well that fits in with the whole planning scheme, which is a whole multi-layered yep. scheme of different laws and, and regulations. We we can make a judgment, but we're making a judgment based on this scheme, which is the minister's scheme. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to change those rules, we would have to apply to the minister to do a planning scheme amendment and say, we would like to change it in this way. And he wow. could say no. So we're not really in control of planning in our municipality. Uh, there's a, there's, we're not in control of how we do our rates. Um, there's, a, there's a, a statewide rates capping scheme uh, instituted by the state government. So we actually, as a, as a local government, do not have as much power to sort of control our destiny as I would say a lot of local governments across the world have. And so sometimes you get jealous because you look at, okay, well the the city of you know whatever hamburg in Mm -hmm. in in germany or whatever um is able to do this this and this and they can attack climate change in this way and i sort of look at that and say well we couldn't possibly do that because we just don't have these powers or those powers so it's tricky and so if i was going to make any change to that structure in the system i would say that i I, I would embrace municipalities having more power but They also need to be more open and transparent with their communities because there's a lot of councils out there that operate in a vacuum, uh, essentially. And so it needs to be a true representative of this community in Mm -hmm. order to have that power. I think we do it quite well. Mm -hmm. We could probably do better, I'm sure. Uh, But there are other councils
1: that don't do well. Yes. Very good answer. (laughs) And it was a very, very big question and kind of confusing one. Thank you so much for your time, Tim. Do you have any other sort of... Thoughts. So so this show is going out currently. There's about a hundred listeners in Victoria, which is I'm pretty happy with from launching on Monday. Thank you to everyone who's listening. I'll Though give you a gonna,
2: bump. I'll see if I can pull yeah, that. Yeah, sounds good. Well I've,
1: yeah, I've got I've got some amazing guests actually scheduled. There's a couple people coming over from the States that Fantastic. I'm gonna have on and I'll be on their shows. You know, very much uh, I was like, hey, wanna help out a, a new guy to the scene? <laughs> like, yeah, sure. You remember where that we were a year ago when we started? Um so what would make your job easier as a counsellor to do the things that we all want to get done? Like, what can the public do? What can someone uh, like me do?
2: Uh, open support. So when, when we do these consultations, make a submission. If you mm-hmm. look at something and you're happy with it, tell us you're happy with it. Don't just be silent, you know. And if you're unhappy with it and you think we can do more or less or, you know, whatever, um, absolutely let us know. The the, the amount of feedback that we get during these is is a very small proportion of the community. Mm. And so the the bigger that voice is, the more powerful it is. If you're one of... Yeah, you know, only two hundred responders. Yeah, you know, that's that. That makes your your submission really powerful. So, yep. so I would say absolutely get involved in the consultation, not just on the sustainable environment strategy, but also the budget, because mm-hmm. we can talk about everything we want to do in a strategy, but if it's not funded, it's not happening. Mm. So you need to make sure that in the budget we've put enough money there. Do you think we've put enough money? Let us know. Yeah, um, they, they, this is what we need. So sometimes I feel like. A little bit cut off from the community that there's this silent com- silent majority out there that really wants us to do stuff on, on climate change. And they obviously do, because in my ward, in Canal Ward, the three people that were elected were a Green, a climate change uh, lecturer yes. at, uh, at, at Melbourne <laughs> Uni, um, and someone who, who self-described online as a climate activist, clear that people in my ward wanted to, to to send people to council to take action on that but Absolutely. sometimes we just don't hear from the community for a little while and there's, they send you off and then yeah and look, it, look people get busy like yep. i understand that like I'm, I'm not i'm not berating anyone no, for not getting in but touch this but just what would help please remember how powerful
1: it is when you do get in touch
2: that it can make a huge difference that's right
1: i've got maybe like a counterpoint about that and about how i can hear what you need but here's how it's it's kind of difficult for say me like i'm new to melbourne there's a lot better informed and more engaged members of the electorate than me Mm -hmm. um maybe playing dumb with the audience everyone can feel good about how they're doing but and i already i live in city of melbourne just just across the street from the constituency so i can see what you guys are doing Mm -hmm. but not take part so much um When it comes to the submissions, I can say, well, here's what would make it 100% good for me, and I will submit that. But then I know that, like, I'm only going to get, you know, if I'm lucky, 60% of what's good for me, because your job is to weigh up all these pros and cons, and you're getting what's 100% best from everyone. These seven different parties, eight distinct groups, however many there are, and you're trying to find where the middle ground is. What? I would really respond to well is a kind of panel. So if we do have the ability to get get the the residents and the commercial sector and this industry and that industry into a room, be like, well, here's the proposal. How is it for you? And they're like, well, we're okay with this, but this would really hurt us here. And I, I until I worked in an industry for a while, I don't understand how it works until I've gone and done it, kind of thing. And so
2: same with the budget i think what you're talking about is um is deliberative democracy which is a mm-hmm. really really exciting that's concept from it. that's yeah. used uh, in in different ways in different places first off i'll address one of your first points don't stress about not being as informed of other members mm-hmm. of, of of your community mm-hmm. we get we hear some of the loudest voices in the community at least informed, informed. yes good. don't stress about that yep. just just let us know what you think but certainly i want to see uh and and I, and I, i'll Probably admit I, I haven't been pushing as much of this lately as I should have been. It, there's been other priorities, but I um, take de- it back. I
1: called you a politician. A politician <laughs> would never say that. And that was so refreshing. Well, <laughs> <nice>.
2: <laughs> but but it's it's deliberative democracy is actually a really really uh, interesting uh, concept to use. You can't use it for everything, but essentially what it is is you pull together. A, it's like a citizens jury. So you bring mm-hmm. together a bunch of different people. You make sure they come from a de- diverse Background: They're not completely self-selected. You, you, yep. you have criteria to select them, and you put them together, and you give you pump them full of information. You give them lots and lots of information about how they're going to look at a particular issue. Let's say it's it's uh, it's. Well, I'll use an example. There, there, there was one about um, Elstonwick Park North, mm-hmm. um, where uh, it was the council wanted to know what the future of this golf course was going to to be. Uh, there were a couple of options that were looked at uh, between, you know, sort of wetlands and open space, more sporting grounds, all of these sorts of different things. And they put together a deliberative panel. They gave them all the information. They worked through it as a process of a couple of months. And then the deliberative panel came back and and said, we want to go with such and such, right? So in that case, they wanted to go with an expanded wetlands and open space. Mm -hmm. The council then actually didn't go for that so they actually didn't take that recommendation and went for something else which i think is a bad application of deliberative democracy it was really good up until that but essentially what it is is council is putting their putting taking on a bit of risk and putting that decision in the hands of these people and Mm. getting them to make the decision well council has to make the decision but you know Mm -hmm. sort of getting them to make the recommendation and and come back and what often happens is that it's actually a really good way to make uninformed people really informed mm-hmm. because then they'll then champion that thing. So there mm-hmm. will be people who went into that deliberative process about Elston Week Park North and they would have been completely against wetlands or whatever, mm-hmm. but through having all of the information and through having that responsibility of having to act interests. in the best interest yeah. of everyone, they ended up going with the, the, the wetlands proposal mm-hmm. and then they ended up championing it. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That's actually an incredibly powerful thing you can do for your community is to actually empower them and turn them into champions for change. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely want to see these things. You can't use it for for everything. everything no. um, it's it's no, not only no, does it weeks cost or too much, you have money, to make
1: someone into an expert. Exactly.
2: Yeah. But, but there are some things where you're just like, you know, we want to hand this over to the community. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done that so much. We did a bit of that when we were developing our council plan. Mm-hmm. Um, we did facilitated workshops. We did, you know, pretty informed sort of meetings. It wasn't quite at the full level of deliberative democracy, but it's definitely something that, that I want to do uh, going forward to, I guess, watch this space.
1: Yes, I will. Very good. I'll... I'll... I've got this vague impression in mind that you know I'm just such a podcasting evangelist that if more of that process is distributed in this way, in this very sort of conversational way, so when that deliberative panel gets together and they have their conversations about it and they're advocating for what they believe in, now they've had the same information as everybody else, but they bring in their their viewpoint from beforehand and Mm. their place in the community that that conversation would be, you'll just be able to see what resonates with you, and it's all it's all got the correct information They all have the same set of information they're checking each other you can't skew it and spin it in certain ways like that panel and then and then the eight-part podcast series you can listen to over two weeks and then the final vote like i don't know if anyone's doing that but i think i think it's a great way to engage with people and part
2: of part of being a counselor is hearing a whole bunch of people yell at you for all the decisions that you make Mm -hmm. and you and you look at them and just say I'd love to see what you would do if you were sitting in my chair having to make decisions. And that's a lot of what deliberative democracy does, is that it means that people can't just throw stones. No. They actually have to go in and make a responsible decision. They have to think of the other side of the debate. Absolutely. And so it, uh, in effect, turns a bunch of people into the kind of people who could be on council. Yes. And that's that's probably the best thing about it, I think. Definitely.
1: Yeah. That's good. Whereas, like, town hall meetings, um, have you been involved with many of these sort of public town halls? It's going to be sort of part of the job. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just Uh, due to the nature that they are this time, they're scheduled for now. It doesn't matter what else you're doing in your life. Maybe you're missing your kid's recital or something to be there. Like, Mm -hmm. if you have an opinion about this, you want it to be as strong and persuasive as possible. You have one shot to do it. People are already petrified of public speaking. Mm -hmm. People come to town halls primed to be angry. Like time, yeah. acting on that impulse, if we can kind of make that process asynchronous, it doesn't have to be in the same room at the same time. If you could record your position, your argument at any time it's right for you, send it to council, they can listen to it any time it's right for them. Once we get a bit of maybe the, the technology in there to say that you can trust that when you send it, it'll be listened to. I think like we can sort of decentralize town halls a bit. I don't know this is yeah. just an idea that's coming to me now, but we're we're spitballing I guess about better processes
2: well and and this and this would bring in a bunch of people who don't normally engage. so that's obviously, right you know we we did have a, a an impromptu, not impromptu it was uh, planned, but on a particular issue, we had a public meeting mm-hmm. uh, and and the people that came to that were all almost all retired folk who had the time uh, yes, to, yeah. to go over the issue and look at it. I think there's a lot of ways to engage with people beyond that. And that's great that those people are engaged, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's a lot more people who... Yeah, it's not a are, representational swath of exactly. the community. There, there are lots of people who've got kids and it's too too difficult for them. Some of the things that we have done to open up our processes, our decision-making processes a bit more, is you know we started uh, last year live streaming our council meetings really uh, online... I passed a motion for us to investigate actually porting that stream to Facebook Live as well yes. so that people can actually comment in real time Yes. Uh, so that there can be a discussion there. Now, that discussion is not... It's not interactive, right? Yes. It's, those questions won't be put to the councilors at the council meeting. We're, I don't think we're at the level yet that we can really work that out. But the people watching can have a discussion. And I think that that's actually kind of important, it is. even if they're just saying, this guy's an idiot, <laughs> whatever. This so guy's we, got great hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, I wish. But um, So we've done that once. Uh, and it was, you know, like there were some technical issues why we haven't done that again. But I think yep. we're bringing it back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that I think is another really great way because to remember that our webcast is on and to go to our website and all that sort of stuff. But if you have just happened to like our, our page uh, before, it'll say City Port Phillip is going live in 10 minutes. Yep. Uh, you can go and have a look. Our viewer numbers massively shot up, and people were were really engaged. Even my brother, who lives in Austria and has no interest <laughs> in local government whatsoever, was like, "I got a free half hour. I'll, yeah. I'll have a look," you know. And I think that that's you know that's important. He was sending me messages telling me that I looked stupid and, and as and brother, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a good brother does. But 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 that that's this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we can do to better engage people. But I've, I do have to say it is a passion of mine. Yes. Um, Excellent. along with all the uh, passions. Yes.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I th- think th- basically thanks so much for your time, Tim. I look really look forward to speaking to some of your colleagues as well. Maybe down the track, well, sort of as soon as we have something good to cover, we can do a panel show, get you all together. Sure. Yeah. Um, if there's anything I can do to help down the track with, with that reach or promotion for anything you're doing, I, I, Basically, will listeners watch this space? I'm sure that me and Tim will be working together more in future because you you uh, you're willing to embrace new media and stuff like this. Somebody walking into your office with a little recorder and (laughs) seeing where it goes. It'd be an it'd be an absolute
2: pleasure. And uh, you know, I do I do my little uh, video update weekly updates from your local counselor and uh i wonder whether maybe i could start having guests on
1: yeah it could be a thing who knows there you go perfect well (laughs) i'll I'll link that in the show notes as well and i'll be a viewer from now on fantastic thank you so much i'll just switch that off here
0: and we hope you enjoyed that it sure gave us a lot of ideas and mark and myself are excited at the possibility of working with tim again
1: that's right. In fact, Tim has already helped me out with introductions to other councillors on the Port Phillip Council, and uh, even given us some contacts up in your neck of the woods, Rich. So that was a very lucky meeting at the park that day on Earth Day.
0: Yes, certainly was, yeah. And it seemed, like you had a very casual, informal first meeting with Tim. And I was struck when listening to the interview, just how relatable he was. Uh, as he says, he really needs to hear from his constituents about how much and what type of action they want on climate change.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think you the guys, the listeners, you'll hear from that. Just how, you know, just because they're in city council, or these people aren't scary. They're so quite easy to talk to, quite easy to approach. And it really is only when people like us make our voices heard at all levels of government, but especially at city council, that people like Tim can really start to go to bat for us on the changes we want to see in the climate.
0: Seemed like that in the interview. You covered just about everything, Mark, except waste. But we've got a big show coming up about that, and I wasn't sure if you'd forgotten.
1: No, no, I, I didn't forget. Um, I did talk to Tim about waste, uh, but it was off mic after the interview. Okay, um, okay. Tim has kindly introduced me to Catherine Copsy. Now she's another member of the council, another uh, Greens associated member, and she's kind of the waste guru, is what Tim referred to her as. So I do have an interview scheduled for her for next week. Um, I am able to tell you, though, luckily, happily that Port Phillip Council, uh, their waste contractor was not offshoring to China. So if you put something in the recycling bin in Port Phillip City Council, that is not going to landfill. They're not doing Nip Switch City Council at this point. What I don't know and what Tim doesn't know at the moment either, and we'll need to come up with Catherine, is whether or not that recycled material is being stockpiled at the moment. So whether it's just sitting somewhere in a warehouse building up, building up, and what will happen with their waste contract or whether they'll have to renegotiate their rates?
0: And those are the questions that the local councils are asking over Australia, aren't they? That's right. All right, that's it until next week where we'll be running a full interview with Dougal Holmes and we'll be talking to him about his successful fights against polluting industries in Canberra. Thank you for listening. This has been Climactic, the voice of the people on climate change.
1: Because Houston...